my cell phone is mocking me because there is a ticket in my digital wallet that keeps popping up on my LED for tonight, but it's a show that was canceled. Interesting. And I can't... It's a ghost of a show. Yeah, I can't make it go away. It just keeps telling me, you have something happening at 8 o'clock, and I keep trying to tell it, no, I don't. <laughs> and it's really vexing because I lost two concerts inside of 24 hours this month one of them was last week one of them this week i lost one of them like day before the show was supposed to happen and i lost the other one like the next morning and it's just it's been a strange time for shows like they are they're planning them but they are dropping off real fast it's gotten to the point where i i'll buy concert tickets or show tickets with the caveat that closer to the day it may not happen and not yeah. to get my hopes up too high. Yeah. Buy, buy a ticket, light a candle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 293 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of the matinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. What is it about autumn? I ask you, dear listener, it always seems like summer gets all the attention as the time of year where there's so much going on, places to see, people to do, but maybe it's just me, but it seems like nothing slows down one bit come fall. There are festivals, there are holidays, there's sports, there's pumpkin spice this and apple spice that. It's just an absolute blur of orange, brown, and red, and before you know it, your schedule is just a litany of events. And of course, there are movies, prestige pictures, arty pictures, awards, hopefuls, all hitting screens, all at the same time, competing for our attention. Studios hold tight to a lot of their best work and then unleash them all on us at the same time with the hopes that we will keep up. It's hard to keep up, but we try. And trying with me today is a dear friend, always happy to sit shotgun when I holler out, get in, loser, we're going to the mall. She's a contributing writer at Wiley Writes from Midtown Toronto. Jolie Featherstone is here. How are you, Jolie? Hello, I am very well now that I'm talking to you. <laughs> you must want something. Um, <laughs> as, as you may have noticed, uh, if you're used to the schedule of these things, we are late with this one. Uh, the release schedule of this film, and I gotta be honest, trying to find somebody who saw it was a little bit trickier this time. So we're coming to you a week later. We want to get this episode out into the world and move on. So we're actually going to keep things short this week. We are going to skip Know Your Enemy. Um, you know, there's lots of um, episodes where Jolie has stopped by. Uh, if you want to check the show notes, I'll include a tag and you can go back through some of them. Always great conversations. You can learn more about Jolie and her rounds of Know Your Enemy on those episodes. But today we're just going to stick to the straight goods. We are going straight to the new slang. On episode 293, we are talking about tar. Directed and written by Todd Field, it stars Kate Blanchett, Nomi Merlant, Nina Haas, and Sophie Cower. Tar is about maestro conductor named Lydia Tar. That's Kate Blanchett. She's an EGOT winner. She's a musical genius. She's absolutely brilliant. And unfortunately for all involved, she knows it. Over the course of the film, she will prepare to conduct the Berlin Orchestra to a performance that will become a crowning achievement in her life's work. If she can make it to the performance. I say if, because Tar often seems to be balancing her life like Jenga blocks, pulling and pulling and just daring the tower to topple. There are questionable choices. There are loaded statements. There are burnt bridges. There is catastrophe courted. It's not a question of if the tower will fall, dear listener. It's only a question of when. Tar is a movie about nuance, the subtlest of subtleties that so many of us may not notice, but can make a huge difference between something simply being nice and a bona fide masterpiece. Whether it's the direction of the orchestra or the construction of a suit, 
the dynamics of a professional relationship or the baggage of a personal relationship. It's the nuance that really makes the difference. The way a chord is struck or the way a look is conveyed. So, pop quiz, hotshot. How does Tar handle nuance? Is it carefully crafting its beats and making sure that every note is played just so? Or is it perhaps overemphasizing the nuance to the point where nuance is lost? Oh, what a great question. Initially, they they do a lot of showing and telling about um, Lydia Tar herself and kind of paint the picture of who she is as a person and kind of her sort of her value system, her personality, and it quickly moves into um, a sort of an exploration that uh, I certainly was not expecting. So I think initially the film does uh, a great job or is very explicit, shall we say, in the um, kind of description of who Tara is and the life that she lives, but then quickly becomes a lot more layered as you go in. So I think the nuance almost the tone of the nuance or, or the level and the depth of the nuance changes throughout the film to be very explicit at first to then become a little bit more layered and uh, labyrinthine as you go along the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do see that. I think it's hard to answer my own question, to be honest. So I'm glad that you gave me that answer because uh, I don't even really know what the answer to this question is, except that There are moments where the film handles its subtleties extremely well, um, where a look conveys pages and pages of dialogue. Uh, There are other times where the nuances are a little bit more blunt and really spell out, hey, this is going to be important. And those are moments where I feel like another pass on the script or another pass on the edit could have um, shorn up some of that nuance, some of that subtlety, some of that approach to telling the film. Um, That's not to say that this movie is bad and we'll get there in a second. Just that there's sometimes where it thinks it's being subtle and it's really not. You know, Um, we haven't talked. You only saw this movie last night. I saw it at the end of last week. Um, What did you think of Todd Field's Tar? I really enjoyed it myself. Um, I was I had enjoyed Todd Field's uh, film Little Children when that initially came out, and actually after watching Tar, I really want to revisit it because I think there's a lot of um, themes that come up in Tar that kind of applied to little children. So um, I really enjoyed it. I definitely went in knowing, okay, it's going to be, you know, an exceptionally well-made film. We have Kate Blanchett as the star. And in my mind, Kate Blanchett can do no wrong, or at least very rarely does she miss her notes and in, in her performances. It ended up being a lot more, um, layered than I anticipated. I sort of went in expecting something like um, Black Swan sure, and came out of it feeling, okay, that was a little bit more um, layered, a little bit more nuanced than I was kind of expecting. I was sort of compared to Black Swan, certainly. Um, So yeah, I, I personally really enjoyed it. And I will say this, that it's an excellent film to see with someone and discuss it afterwards because there's going to be things that your um, your movie accompanier, I don't know anything to say is. Your guest, um, your date, your plus one. There's going to be things that they picked up on that you didn't and vice versa. Mm. And people are going to bring very different viewpoints in the sort of moral uh, <laughs> trajectories of the characters. So yeah, absolutely a great, just a great film to see with someone and, and provide really great discussion. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I, I, I went in primed to love it um, without actually having seen much about it, to be entirely mm. honest. Like I hadn't mm. seen a trailer. I knew I was going for Kate and I was going for fields. Uh, I knew she was a conductor. That was all I knew. That was mm-hmm. all. I knew. And, and I mean, you know, if, I mean, if you're already listening to this podcast, obviously we're going to discuss a lot more of that, but the less you know about this film, the better it may play. Um, I, I liked it. I didn't 
love it the way I normally love a movie like this. And we'll get into why in a little bit. I was very, very happy that it's a film I saw in a theater because this Mm -hmm. is a film that is almost patient to a fault. Like there are a lot of times where it is in no hurry to show its hand Mm -hmm. from moment to moment. Every scene has meaning. Like there, there, there's not a scene in here that is just there for texture. Everything that's in it is a piece of the puzzle. It's just, if you're not paying attention to the puzzle, you're going to miss a piece um, Mm -hmm. for sure. So I was happy that this is a film that I was in a dark room and a bright wall and got to see because if I was trying to watch it at home, I would have missed a lot of these little inflections. It's very talky. This film, yes. there, there. I mean, the if you are unsure of this, it will let you know within the first. I don't know. I think the first, easily the first twenty minutes, mm-hmm. maybe the first thirty, are just straight dialogue, mostly Kate Blanchett, mm-hmm. um, and it it's talking. Sometimes about things you'll understand if you're not a classical musician, oftentimes about things you will not understand if you're (laughs) not a classical musician, but it does so in a way that doesn't feel full of itself. Like a lot of her, we start with this interview and then we move on to a lecture (laughs) and both of them uh, are, are delivered in such a way that that the audience is still brought into the conversation. We're not sitting there scratching our heads. And then the rest of the movie unfolds from there. Like it's, it's funny that first 20 minutes is pretty much all just character setup of tar. Mm -hmm. And then we get into the plot. So that takes balls. Um, And I, I do appreciate that. Um, We've both talked or touched already. Kate Blanchett in this movie. I mean, Kate Blanchett is a force of nature. Um, She's incredible. If nothing else about this movie, she's incredible to watch. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She's, she's endlessly watchable in this role, which is quite interesting because her character is very uh, complicated as all humans are and isn't always the most, say, pleasant person or likable person, you know, quote unquote likable. Mm -hmm. I think that she herself does just such a great job of bringing very raw humanity to this character um, and yeah, I, I had the same thought those first like 20, 30 minutes where she's just delivering minutes and minutes of straight dialogue. And I, I honestly thought, and a lot of it, like you said, is um, very much filled with musical knowledge and history. It's, it's not really like conversational per se, like she's delivering a lecture, she's doing an interview. And I couldn't help but thinking during one of those longer sequences of dialogue, I thought, how did she memorize all of this? Yeah, really. How, for just like sheer, like at the, the foundation of the character, how did she memorize all this, let alone be able to impart um, this vision of someone who is so, so embedded in this world and so impassioned by it and, and so incredibly ambitious regarding a career in this path um but of course it's Kate Blanchett so I'm yeah. not surprised <laughs> yeah I, th- I mean at this stage of the game I don't think there's anything she can't do we've seen her play goofy we've seen her play fraught mm-hmm. we've seen her play you know everything from peasants to queens right um mm-hmm. literally and in this movie, she is asked to do a lot of different things. I mean, she's asked to bring us into some quieter moments where we need to understand what is happening with her through just through expression, mm-hmm. you know, just through expression, just through the way she's holding her body. We need to watch her watch an audition or not even watch. We need to, to watch her listen to an audition mm-hmm. and see the difference of I am impressed. I am not impressed. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we need to watch her have her bully moment in a lecture. We need to watch her command the respect of an entire orchestra. We need to watch her do a lot of different things. You know, we need to watch her relationship with her partner and with her assistant. And those are really intricate and complicated relationships themselves. We'll talk about Mm -hmm. them in a bit. Um, And, everything like if she makes a false move in any of it it all falls apart like we can talk about things the movie that don't work and we will get there but if nothing else we must agree Kate Blanchett 
is one of the things about this movie that absolutely works. 100%. And yeah, I like how you kind of frame that as sort of, it really is a house of cards in this movie. And she, at least in the sense of her performance, like you said, that that never wavers. There's, there's really not a misstep that she makes in her performance. And it, it is it is a very, very tense kind of uh, character that we're dealing with here. So yeah, no, she, she absolutely uh, works and, and did a fantastic job. I mean, the, the cool thing about it is by the end of it all, we don't like her, but we also don't hate her. Like she's not mm-hmm. the kind of person who we don't want to listen to and, and spend time with. And that's, uh, I, I, that's a very, very specific mark to hit because if we end up hating Tar, this whole movie falls apart. Like we are not going to want to see what happens to her, what happens to her legacy to consider that, um, that, that tale. So we have to pull back the curtain and see the wizard. Yeah. But at the same time, we can't hate the wizard, <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, and Kate Blanchett is asked to do something very, very specific with that. Um, I think, one of the things you kind of touch on that I really liked about this movie is the realism of this world. I got to be honest. I thought this was a real person. By the yeah. time we were said and done, I was like, why don't I know about Lydia Tarr? I'm going to need to do some reading as soon as this movie is over. <laughs> and I was kind of surprised to find out, Oh no, this is complete fiction. Um, just because the, the construction of this character and this tale it it lends itself so well to all of these complicated geniuses that we've learned about over the last little while and the way that the whole movie is constructed like this this world is like uh, it's meticulous the the, yeah. the world of this movie absolutely and you raise a really good point <laughs> i that was the one thing i didn't watch a trailer I didn't read up about the film. I didn't read any reviews before seeing it. Um, the one thing I did do was Google, is Lydia Tarr a real person? <laughs> right. And I had to like, that was the only thing. So I'd read like one sentence of a review that was like, this is a fictional character. And then I'm like, okay, okay, confirmed. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. I'm not reading a word more than this. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it really speaks a lot to um, Todd Field because he did write, direct, and produce this film. He just handled that well. Like he handled the blending of this fictional character into like inserting the character into like our actual world and, and the history of that field um, really, really well. You never really feel kind of as if it really sticks out or it doesn't feel cartoonish, I would no. say. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Great job. Uh, I think a lot of credit to Field for that. And of course, Kate through her performance, but even just how it was written and how it blends history and, and this character. And like you said, it does feel like Lydia Tarr's character does feel like a real person. You know, it does feel very reminiscent of some of the, um, you know, creative geniuses that, that we've learned about throughout history. Yeah, um, it's yeah. it's remarkable. It really is. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody comes away from this movie thinking I want to read, you know, we, at one point or another, we see somebody editing Lydia Tarr's wiki page and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I know I'm on the subway home. I need to read the actual Lydia Tarr wiki page. I was like, why isn't that link working? Oh, because it's fiction. Um, you know, it's, it's a real mark of achievement to, mm-hmm. to make something feel so lived in. And it's, and it's totally not mm-hmm. that said, I've been pussyfooting around the um, downside of this movie this movie is too long. And I say that as a person who enjoys long movies uh, and who has nothing but time to spend in a fictional world. This film is uh, at least two and a half hours. I think it might even be 237 altogether. And it's not too long in the way that I think it drags. Uh, it's not too long in terms of the pace of it from scene to scene. There's just a tighter edit of this movie that is pretty much perfect. There are plot threads in this movie that go nowhere. There are little added in details that are not picked up by the time it's done. And for me, that was a sign of either a tighter edit in the writing or a tighter edit literally in the edit. 
that could have shorn up this movie and you know we still would have seen the rise and fall of Lydia Tarr but we didn't necessarily need to go jogging in the woods and hear a scream as a for instance Right. I, I felt that the film was very heavy loaded in the front. The, the first half of the film, I, I feel, is very much loaded and bogged, not bogged down, but you know what I mean? It's loaded with so much information. And then when you get to like, maybe not even the second half, but like the, the, the final act of the film, it, I feel like it goes very fast. Um, so I, I can definitely see what you mean. Like, it, it, it is a very long film. Um, I didn't mind it. Um, and I very, like, I, I do also enjoy longer movies, but I will certainly tell you when I feel like a movie is too long. For example, I'm thinking of ending things. Oh, God. <laughs> <That'd be too laughs> long. Right, um, right. And, um, this one, I didn't mind it, but I did very much n- feel that shift in pacing where it was sort of like, okay, we've spent so much time front-loading the film with information and then by the end it did feel like it was kind of racing through to to reach like a somewhat reasonable uh running time for a film um that said though i will respectfully disagree about that running in the woods scene i thought that was so great i loved that scene i thought it was so interesting and it's a great scene but it it lends itself to nothing that's the thing like even she she spends a lot of this movie talks about what she hears mm-hmm. um you know like she hears this chime coming from a few apartments over or she hears mm-hmm. the car's chassis pulling as she's driving you mm-hmm. know like she is a she's a person who her entire life is about the very very smallest details of sound mm-hmm. so every little sound just cuts through and to that end, yeah, a scream in the forest, unseen of its source, is going to be terrifying, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, it, and it lends itself to kind of this, you know, thoughts of movies like Blow Up or Blow Out, Pick Your Blow Something. Um, <laughs> yeah, love that scene. Absolutely, that that scene in and of itself, killer. Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> it's it it's it's dropped. There, there's nothing. It, it's left. That that's I, I thought. You know, again, both of us not having seen a trailer, I thought Tar was going to turn into some sort of a murder mystery. It was going to be like, complete the blow-up, blow-out trilogy, blow-up, blow-out Tar. No. She hears that scream and she's discon- you know, she's disconcerted by that mm-hmm. screen. And, and you can almost see she's actually really kind of uh, afraid by what mm-hmm. she's seeing out in the forest. And then we never come back to it. I mean, it is spooky season. You know me, I like spooky things. So <laughs> yes. I'm probably a little bit biased about gotcha. that scene. But I... I thought that scene was so interesting because to me it was all it was almost like that scream served as like like the shot of a gun before the race cars take off. It was sort of like this is the first time at least I felt that we really this really see her uh, destabilized, you know, everything up until that point like she's so assured and she's so confident and you know, she's just so incredibly in and of herself and that's the first kind of time we really see her kind of like yeah just destabilized or disconcerted is a good word for it and it's almost like from here on in after that happens we just see her kind of be further tested in a way um and we further see the that kind of the, the sense of control or the reins sort of loosening around her not by choice certainly it's very much um something that she's sort of thrown into and at the same time we witness like her you know kind of sense of control in a way serving to be a bit of a weapon that eats away at her um so when I saw that scene to me that was kind of like all right here we go this is when things are going to start to get interesting right right (laughs) it's yeah I mean it's really interesting that you mention it that way because for me, it was the flip. For me, the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie, I was wrapped. Like that, mm-hmm. that first 30 minutes where it's mostly just Kate Blanchett talking, mm-hmm. I was totally in it. Mm-hmm. The end, the last, the last 20 minutes where we have reached the climax of this movie and we mm-hmm. spend a good, easily 15, maybe 20, I wasn't sitting there with a stopwatch, but at least 15 minutes in epilogue or mm-hmm. coda, you know, if you want to use the musical term, that felt too far. You know, we, mm-hmm. we reach, we reach the apex of her story 
we have this moment where she goes to what seems to be like her childhood home mm-hmm. uh, in, in either Long Island or Staten Island, one of the, mm-hmm. the boroughs of New York City. Um, and she, you know, she sees some things and has a conversation. Uh, that to me felt like it was the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And then we, mm-hmm. no, no, there's this whole other thing that I was like, I don't know why we're here now. Now, before I was feeling this is long. Now I really feel it was long. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. You weren't all you weren't all about the beginning, and I wasn't all about the end. We're both, you know, completely sold on the middle. But, yeah, I you know. and, and and it's not to say that I didn't enjoy the beginning. I, I truly did. Um, I guess, yeah. I just when I saw that particular scene, I was like, okay, things are going to get a little shaken up now and i'm i'm curious to see how this goes um but i i do hear you about the ending um it is a really interesting ending i that's sort of where i felt uh and i think we kind of maybe both felt this way it did feel a little bit rushed or like like you mentioned like that epilogue does seem a little bit like oh okay yeah it's tacked on yeah it's uh it it was interesting it was certainly um there's certainly a great kicker at the end with the yeah. last scene. Um, I, I was actually so happy to see that the theater I was in was packed. Like it was, oh. a, it was almost a full house. Okay. Um, mind you, it was Tuesday night. So maybe everyone was just going for the Tuesday deal. Right. But um, yeah, my friend and I were at varsity cinema and it was quite a full house. And when that final um, you know, when you're in the last scene and the camera sort of just like pulls back a little bit and um, everyone in my theater was kind of like, oh my goodness, some people were right. chuckling, some people were gasping. It was like a very, there was very much like a, an emotional reaction. To the- yeah, it's, I mean, the actual, the actual story beat is magnificent. I mm-hmm. just uh, by that point, I just thought I'm like I'm ready to leave this world. Right. I'm 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 done learning about her. This is not where I want to be anymore. So right. it's really it's really interesting. I I found the film really interesting in terms of the discussion around like separating the art from the artist. To me, mm. the conversation gets brought up in a really interesting way, and yet it kind of takes a, a few twists and turns that I wasn't expecting. Um, but, uh, I don't want to get too far into it because I don't want to reveal any spoilers. The theme is explored in a very interesting manner, I should say, in this film. It never quite takes the route that I think it's going to take. If you want to enjoy the art, you have to accept the artist. You know, it's, the, the film really does lean into the fact that terrible people uh, can do beautiful things, and that sometimes, in order to get the beautiful things, you have to enable the terrible people. If people see it, because it's going to be a movie that kind of goes under the radar for a lot of mainstream audiences. Um, you know, I don't expect this to be a very popular episode of the show, uh, <laughs> but thank you for coming on. Um, I'm always but, happy you know, to come on the show. <laughs> yeah, um, it very much does lean into. Yeah, this person who does these wonderful things just happens to be a garbage person. And what do you think of that? You know, I mean, on the last episode when we were talking about Don't Worry Darling, I coupled that up with Rosemary's Baby. And I had to say, full stop, Roman Polanski is a terrible person. This movie's a masterpiece. You know, um, you can, if you want to sit it out because you don't want to encourage the garbage person anymore i would absolutely respect that and not push um but there are a lot of and when we learn more and more a lot of garbage people make some pretty cool things and it's like what do you do with that what would we do if we learned that john williams was an absolute asshat to everybody he's ever done would we disregard the theme from star wars would we you know not hear the theme from Indiana Jones the same way, Jaws, Harry Potter, Superman. Like, you know, if we learned that this person was a terrible person, what do we do? And this movie seems to hang its hat on, you got to take the artist if you want the art. Right. Yeah, I, I felt, see, that's kind of how I felt it was going to be at first, like with that initial scene and her in the classroom. Oh, I yeah. That's, like, yeah. That's, oh, wow. Like, what a... First yeah. of all, what a like a well acted and, and well put together scene. But 
um, when I first watched that scene, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I wonder if this is like, if Char's feelings on the matter are sort of going to be the core message of the film. Um, but at the same time, I think the film doesn't really give us a full, or for me, I didn't feel like the film really gave like a, a distinct kind of position on it. It was, it was exploring different um, aspects. Like for example, you know, Tar raising um, a point in that lecture of, you know, if you're auditioning, there are certain criteria you can be, um, you know, rated by, wouldn't you rather that be like your skill and, you know, your technical skill and what have you rather than something else. And yet when she herself is in uh, an audition where the, um, the people auditioning are, are covered and, and not visible at the very end, we see that she notices the sound of the high heels clicking on the floor. She notices the boots of the, the woman that she's you know, inside. And we just see her subtly erasing whatever she had had on her page. Yeah. She certainly is not portrayed as a morally uh, upstanding person. No. Um, so I think the film, in my mind, it wasn't quite as distinct. Or in my mind, it wasn't really taking a, a hard position. It was kind of like, you know what? if there's a piece of art that you enjoy, you can't completely separate the artist. They have, they put things into place that ultimately created the art. For example, um, you know, you can say the, you know, she has this conversation with her assistant uh, or starts to have the conversation in the vehicle where she said, you know, Mahler is so, um, you know, so skilled. And then her assistant's like, well, you know, he was terrible to his wife. She wasn't able to, you know, pursue her own career. She's like, well, that's the rule of the game. She accepted it. And that's that. Yet, you know, we see when she's putting together the orchestra, she's extremely ambitious and does go with, um, you know, she does make kind of a bold choice to change tradition to fit her intentions and to fit mm-hmm. her designs. So I, I think in the way the film is saying, you can't separate the art from the artist because how the art comes about is very much directed um, by the the kind of worldview and by the the machinations of the artist, yet at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't still enjoy the art. Um, but you know, just know that you can't completely separate the art from the artist. So I, yeah, I didn't feel like the film took a very distinct um, point of view, or, or I, I certainly don't think it was like pushing a particular point of view. It was um, kind of humanistic in a very realist way you know what I mean like they don't portray her as a complete like outright villain monster but at the same time um you know they they do show that she's human we do question her moral compass at times um and we do see how her sort of manipulating her colleagues and manipulating like her career her personal relationships do ultimately um cause <laughs> perhaps more problems than oh, yeah. she hopes right so i do think you see that kind of eating away at her as the film goes on i think one of the things that the film does interestingly um very much springing off of a lot of what you were just talking about is you know you could describe lydia tar as a toxic person um you know you could you could you could talk about her as someone who corrupts everyone around her either personally or professionally one way or the other on a long enough timeline she is she is just going to corrode that person and i think one of the things that's really interesting about that and one of the things that we do as a society have to square ourselves with is it often is not always but often um so-called enlightened liberal educated people who act this way you know like it is very easy for uh educated left-leaning artistic educated people to throw stones at you know at, at, at conservatives who want to keep a status quo keep a certain power structure and say you are the problem, you know, you are the terrible people, you are the ones who want to keep your boot on the lower class, you are the ones who want to get your way. But the reality is that for every one of those, there is 
a Roman Polanski. There is a Harvey Weinstein. There is some version of a Lydia Tarr who is pushing culture or education or enlightenment, and yet themselves feel that that entitles them to still be terrible to other mm-hmm. people. I, you know, th- I think this is something that is not always understood, accepted, and discussed. And I like that this film wants to really underline that, that people mm-hmm. who, by all accounts, should know better, you know, than how to treat the world and how the world has become the way it is, get so driven by ego and power and privilege. Um, you know, yes, she is a queer woman, but she is still a cis white woman. So mm-hmm. with that comes a certain degree of privilege, mm-hmm. says the cis white man who understands his own privilege. Um, you know, I, I like that this film puts that front and center. It's It doesn't taste good in our mouths as the audience, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it, it is something that we should confront. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I completely agree. There's, I think there's um, a lot of discussion around just like the the flawed nature of humans, you know what I mean? Ultimately, um, we see her childhood home, we see where she came from. And in a way that sort of helps us understand like this almost Machiavellian level of ambition that she has um, and this extremely high level of need for control in her life. And, you know, you know, unfortunately that need for control and that ambition has led her to you know, manipulate certain things. It's, and that's the thing, it's the two sides of the same coin is that level of ambition is what allows her to create incredible artwork. But it's also unfortunately, um, the thing that drives her to to manipulate and, and not be, you know, maybe the most morally upstanding person. I think it also, like you said, it's about confronting that because I think in in our culture as well. I think this is certainly changing, but um, a, in much of history, you know, people and across industries, like whether it's business, whether it's art, whether it's sports, the people who are so driven, maybe not necessarily the most morally upstanding, tend to be the people that get rewarded for it or are tend to be the people that um, get ahead because, because maybe they employ not the most uh, uh, most ethical of, of things. Um, you know, I mean, she's enabled. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that's, that's crazy about this movie is when we look at, especially, um, you know, we haven't really talked too much about them, so maybe it's time that we got to them. But especially when we look at her partner, um, played by Nina Haas, Sharon, mm-hmm. um, and her assistant, Francesca, played by mm-hmm. Nomi Merlin, she is very much enabled by both of them um, in terms of how they talk to her, how they don't challenge her, how their opinions have been accepted into the inner sanctum, has allowed her partner um, a certain level of exploration out of the confines of their marriage and I guess, set ground rules about it. Right. And that has made her think, well, I can just go after anybody, any cellist who I happen to have my eye on. Um, Both of these characters are just as big a part of it. You know, they're, they're both complicit, even though Francesca will have this come to Jesus moment in the late going. It's like, it is far too late for that. You know, the toothpaste is out of the tube woman it's great that you're having a moment of conscience now but you have built this monster and sorry are you talking right now about sharon her partner or no sharon i don't think sharon has built the monster sharon has enabled her accepted the monster yeah like i mean she has enabled her her straying she has enabled her wandering eyes. She has enabled something that we're going to talk about in a second. Um, Francesca has been, uh, you know, Francesca is playing a very complicated part because every personal assistant to somebody powerful is playing that very, very, very delicate game where you are essentially a yes person. You are somewhat of a peon, but you are doing it 
for a purpose in the hopes that it will advance your own career. You know, um, it's, it's kind of a devil's bargain and every terrible person in the world, every Weinstein, every Polanski, every Woody Allen has had this person in their life who shields them, absorbs and deflects, who speaks for them. Um, it's a complicated part. And Nomi Merlot, you know, we know that she could play a complicated part. She was one half of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is one of my favorite movies of the last century um, so far. But both of these women have played a hand in making Tar who she is now. That's fair. Although I don't know that we can kind of necessarily put that kind of responsibility on someone like Francesca, for example. Who, well, then, no, like, she's not. She's not responsible. Sorry, she's not mm-hmm. responsible. But she is. She has enabled it. She's complicit. Yeah. I guess I feel in when it comes to Francesca, I really, I always find um, like roles that deal kind of like with when labor is sort of involved, but like this kind of emotional labor um, that's very personal, being her personal assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, you know, it's like we we're very aware that their relationship is completely just a, it, it's a job, right? Yeah. It's a job for uh, Francesca. We don't really ever get the sense that Francesca completely agrees with what Lydia is doing. Certainly, she doesn't always um, speak up because it is a job. You know, <laughs> this is yeah. her employer, so it's not like she can really, uh, you know, if she wants to to pay the bills. It's not like she can really um, protest too much. But we see her kind of assert her feelings in very small kind of ways or permissible ways in the context of like an employer personal assistant relationship where, you know, when she, um, when they have that, again, that conversation about Mahler in the car and she's very kind of like diplomatic about her criticism about Mahler. Um, when Lydia Terrors asked her to do something and later finds out she didn't do it. Um, and Lydia very much is kind of like playing that manipulative part. Like, Oh, did you do that thing? I asked when she knows fairly like quite well, that she didn't. Francesca never completely bows down and says, Oh yeah, of course I did it. She also doesn't take like the more hard line. Like, no, I didn't do it. Cause I don't agree with it. She kind of says, mm, I don't know if I did. I'll double check. You can kind of yeah. tell like, is walking yeah. that like employee employee line of what yeah. can I get away with? <laughs> yeah, like I'm on on this one thing that we don't really want to touch about because it is something <laughs> of a spoiler to the core of this movie. On this one issue, Francesca is very much on the right side of morality, <laughs> but there's a lot of their professional relationship that happened before this movie started, yeah. and that's where I think that she was on the wrong side. Um, right, although know, she was confined by the, I think that relationship of being like an she, yeah she, i mean I, I i hear what you're saying like she's very mm-hmm. very much confined by the role because there is only so much pushback you can give in a role like that before mm-hmm. you're going to get your ass fired mm-hmm. but it's a bargain you make with yourself right like that can't mm-hmm. be the only person in that industry to work with mm-hmm. um you know meanwhile on the other side of things uh when we look at you know what um Sharon has enabled her like Sharon saying, you know, you can go off and do what you're going to do as long as you come home to me. That's Mm -hmm. all well and good. But at the same time, you aren't in the room with how she's treating these other people. And, you know, your, your garbage is kind of piling over into somebody else's yard because let's get real here. Um, What we really kind of learn through all of this is, and this is a word that has been bandied about this last year or so, and this is a way to use it properly. Um, Tar is a groomer. Tar Mm -hmm. is a person who finds much younger relationships, brings them into the inner sanctum, um, makes them feel important and cared about and recognized and seen and stokes them up only to eventually wander off if it serves her better and Mm -hmm. we learn of one instance where she groomed uh, another younger woman um who we never meet but we see it taking hold again uh with olga this cellist who she takes a shining to um 
partially because of talent. Like she is drawn to talent, which mm-hmm. okay, points, I guess. Um, but you know, she's drawn to youth and beauty the same way that we all are, and abuses that in a way that is really harmful, not the way that it's being bandied about by certain people. I thought it was, um, it took a very realistic and thoughtful approach, you know, because ultimately, you know, the way that, that it's portrayed is, again, Lydia is very much portrayed as, you know, kind of like a flawed, but human person, you know, she's not like, you know, waiting in the wings, like, you know, waiting to jump on like the next like starlet or what have you, you know, it's sort of these things that ultimately she, I think she feels come about rather organically, you know, and she doesn't necessarily, again, like, I think it's just very realistic that the, the person who is doing the grooming is obviously much of the time is aware, but sometimes don't realize like how culpable they really are. You know, you always hear people saying, oh, well, you know, it was consensual or no, no, we had a relationship, da, 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 da. but also refusing to look at the power dynamics of say teacher, student, employer, employee, you know, I think the film really talked a lot about like the intersections of all these things. Yeah. Um, I mean- and Yeah, I thought it was just, like, really done in a very kind of realistic way. Well, like, one of the things that this film actually goes out of its way to do, which I still think is really, really interesting because it still lends itself to this theme, is the the women who she is grooming, they're all of age. Like, there is Mm -hmm. not... There, there's, there's a, 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 if nothing else, like she's still doing you know, some terrible things with these relationships, but at the very least, she's not grooming minors, but mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it doesn't matter because where there's, as you say, this mm-hmm. power dynamic in play, this mentor, mm-hmm. mentee, um, you know, master fellow uh, dynamic, um, it can still be really, really harmful, even if the person is, 20 21 25 you know if the, if the person who is in the in the driver's seat of this dynamic is uh somebody with influence if they are somebody with stature um it can really mess up the person on the other end totally especially if that individual is in a position of you know power or influence in that person's you know livelihood whether oh, yeah. again student or employer employee you know with uh olga in this film the kind of relationship that we really see or um the kind of like the like i don't want to like give too much away but like the grooming um that we start to see uh lydia doing to this young uh cellist olga i think you raise a good point that you know olga is technically of age but she's also an immigrant she is young she's, she's new poor. to the fold Sorry, she's poor. she's poor. Yeah, she doesn't have her. She doesn't have her own home. Like I think she says, she's living with a relative at the time. Um, this is really like a big opportunity for her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being, you know, Lydia may think it's completely consensual that she wants, but how, how really, how consensual can it be if yeah. the person that she's grooming? really is sort of relying on this opportunity, which Lydia holds the keys to, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, you, you take all of these things, like all, all of these things could make for a whole like mini series mm-hmm. of, of, of a story. And yet you pack them all into two hours and a half, which, you know, I think, as I said, even though I think it's a little bit long, um, the fact that it gets to all of them quite elegantly and so very often, especially when it comes to um, the displaying and the understanding and the recognition of this power dynamic and this toxic person, how often it is show don't tell. You know, mm-hmm. um, Francesca and um, Sharon, I lost track of the amount of times they shoot each other a look. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or one of them just shoots a look at Tar and she doesn't catch it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's a really fantastic shorthand mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. movie that's almost blink and you'll miss it. You know, yeah. if you are watching this at home 
and you're messing about with your phone, you are going to miss a lot of the subtlety of this yes, movie with, with that. Um, no, it, it's, it's really amazing. Um, we um, end every matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you t- could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Uh, Jolie Featherstone, what would be your souvenir from Todd Field's Tar? This is a really, really difficult question. Um, you know it's coming, though. You've been on this show like seven times now. I know, but it's it's hard. Some sometimes it's easier than others. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's something you're like, absolutely, I'm so drawn to this particular thing as a souvenir. In this one, it was sort of hard um, because I think the one thing I was going it's okay. The one thing I will say as my souvenir, but it's sort of a complicated one, is um, her home in in berlin like oh, yeah. the she appears with her partner and not because i particularly love it it's certainly not my style it's very cold yes. it's very dark um which i again like i think that the home all the environment all the interiors and environments that she's in that we could have a whole podcast about the interiors in this movie but no um the interiors that she's in always kind of um have a direct connection to her and kind of where she's at and uh, and her psyche at the time but that home is so cold and it's so like cement and yet it it's such a perfect home for her in a way yeah, like, yeah. that is very much her persona as a home yeah. um so i thought the home she lived in was such an interesting just piece uh, such an interesting noun within that film um so i would take her berlin home i i love that that's a great answer uh for me i mean aside from the fact that i want to go to those concerts yes because the pieces that they are playing just seem fantastic Mm -hmm. and uh i am you know enjoying the the moments that we get with with being able to see live performance again for Mm -hmm. however long it lasts um i think for me though the the actual souvenir that i would want and if it exists, I will put it into the show notes of this show, if I can find it, is late in the film, she's watching a video by Leonard Bernstein, where he talks about, I mean, he talks about music. Mm-hmm. And listening to him talk about music is the complete opposite end of the realm of listening to Tar talk about music, because Tar mm-hmm. will talk about music in this very, very cerebral mm-hmm. uh clinical very academic i thank you very very academic uh scholarly way mm-hmm. and yet and then at the end of the movie we listen to bernstein talk about music and he is talking about it completely from the heart mm-hmm. and completely about emotion and completely yeah. about experience and that cuts through she can talk about technique and she can talk about meaning for hours and it never hits near as hard as Bernstein in just that 30 seconds mm-hmm. talking about how it makes you feel and how it expresses what you cannot express. And I really hope I can find that clip because if I can, I will include include it in the show notes. I was in tears listening gonna, to that. It was I'm going to look for it in the show notes because yeah. that was an incredible clip. And I, I think that for me was one of the biggest kind of like emotional kind of, uh, like indicators of the film and also for tar herself where she sort of realizes how far away she's gone from that or how how much she's strayed from that you can tell that was that clip was likely what got her passionate about music and it's almost like a a self uh critical moment where she almost realizes how far she strayed from that and And that's where i wanted the movie to end however it keeps on going uh we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale one to four stars julie featherstone what do you give todd fields tar honestly i would i would give it four stars wow okay um i'm on i was gonna come in with a three i'll go three and a half i'm feeling generous um it's it's too long it's too long but it's so good when it's not long uh there there's a there's a shorter cut of this movie that's a masterpiece um but listen we're both coming down on the side that you should see it um you should listen to it loud you should see it in a dark room if you can um it's a really really good movie todd fields you've been gone far too long it's it's great little children was what 2007 2006 
2006. Yep. Jeez, man. Long you know, time. Way too long to be gone, Todd Fields. Um, welcome back, and I and I hope you stay. I don't know why you went away, but but please don't leave us again. Um, you know, we're not going to do another side for this um, podcast because we want to get it out into the world. It's already late, as we said before. But did you think of other movies that could go along? You know, we mentioned Little Children uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning, uh, and I feel like we mentioned Little Children on another episode of this show recently, but it's not coming to me. Um, what else did you think could go along with Tar if somebody wanted to make themselves a double feature? Yeah, um, I so I did briefly mention Black Swan before, and I think that that still could be an interesting double feature. Um, but yes, there's two films that absolutely jumped out to me while watching uh, Tar, and that was one uh, Personal Shopper, and I would highly recommend that for anyone. Oh yes, yes, uh, yes, Personal Shopper. Yeah, and then the second film would be. L starring Isabel Huppert and uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven. I hate um, that movie so much. Right? Such a, such a polarizing film um, yeah. in a very, shall we say, interesting <laughs> lead character. Um, and I think that could make an, uh, I think certainly putting Char and L together as a double oh, feature. Man. That's a that's a You're, that's a heavy it, night of cinema right there. It is a heavy night, but also I think a really potentially interesting one. Certainly oh, yeah. good honor for conversation. <laughs> you will have a lot to talk about. That is for sure. Um, well, so and a lot of strong opinions. <laughs> yeah, I I have two as well. Uh, my first one, um, another movie that is long, but it's long in the best ways. Um, I went back to last year and, and thought again, and I mean, this is one that I haven't seen in a theater yet i i hope to pick up a screening of it at some point or another uh i went back to drive my car the mm. best international film oscar winner from last year um the movie that what is it 45 minutes in it finally plays its opening credits um <laughs> yeah i i love that movie that movie is in no hurry to get anywhere and it is magnificent um another film about you know artists and complicated artists and the nature of their relationships with, you know, the people who make their day run. Um, really, really good movie, much better than the movie between the two. I'd rather watch drive my car again than tar. Um, even though tar is fantastic. Uh, the other one, when I thought about a conductor and I thought about a movie that is, um, beautiful and loud and, uh, stunning, um, the film that I actually use, to test a surround sound system uh, with a with a home theater, um, I went back to Amadeus. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the performance, the spectacle. Um, another complicated genius. That movie plays it much more for melodrama and farce than um, Tar certainly does. Tar is much more mm-hmm. heavy, uh, but I love that movie. That's another movie that's long. Like that movie's like two. Two and change, maybe two forty. I think is. is I I also watch a director's cut of that one because it's got all the extra scenes that I love. I love Amadeus so much; it's one of my all time favorite movies. Um, and it's been too long since I watched it, so if it turns up in my letterbox, don't be surprised. Um, those are my. Uh, you know, I went for either the symphonic double feature or the dry, quiet, long, and talky double feature. <laughs> you know, depending on your mood. Um, and that is episode two hundred ninety three. Of the matinee cast, I'm so so thankful that Joe Lee was able to come by and um, take the ball for a spot start. Come on back in one week. We're coming back on short rest. Well, I mean short rest. We're going to be back on schedule uh, Monday, October 31st for episode 294. Um, maybe we'll talk about the Banshees. I don't know. Uh, it's October. Release schedules are weird. People haven't seen things. We'll see. The episode is going to drop on time. What we talk about remains to be determined. Jolie is on Wiley Writes. Um, what do you got coming up anytime soon that people can look forward to? Well, I just um, had a review come out for Halloween Ends. Um, so you can read that, a good uh, Halloween uh, <laughs> review and film for, for anyone out there that's interested in that. Um, but yeah, right now, that's all that I have on the go. But yeah, just check my Twitter and that's kind of where you'll see the most up-to-date stuff. <laughs> Speaking of, if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? They can find me at T.O. Film Files. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. That's where you can find back episodes of this show. You can also find them on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Radio, TuneIn, 
Radio Public, CastBox, if it's a podcast host, I'm probably there. If I'm not, let me know. I'll put the show there. It's easy. Um, feedback on TAR can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at matinee.ca. On Twitter, I am matinee underscore ca. And there's still Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Miss Featherstone? No, I just want to thank you for having me on the show. And now I want to watch Amadeus, even though it's uh, getting to be late at night. To you put know, it don't on. start it now. Now is not the time to start it. So leave it to the weekend. You know, we've got a whole like two, three days in, maybe, assuming we don't work on the weekends. Um, you know, that, that, that's a better time for it. Ease into Amadeus. Don't rush Amadeus. That is not a good idea. Um, and, <laughs> and as I am gesturing with my hands, and in case people didn't know, when I. Even though it's an audio medium, I still talk with my hands. Jolie will attest to this because she's been staring at my ugly face for an hour and five oh, minutes. Uh, I'm realizing that my arm is short, is sore from my flu shot, so I'm going to rest that now. Uh, but thank you for Jolie. I'm Ryan. We will see you at the matinee. <laughs>